Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Well, greetings, folks, and welcome to this bonus installment of the program. Now, as most of you know, we're dark this week in preparation for next week's Hometown Legend season finale. But I know so many of you count on the content here. So tonight I'm unlocking two past episodes from the paywall. What you're about to hear are the beyond portions of Season 15, Episode 15, and Season 15, Episode 17, respectively. Now to hear more content like this, don't forget to join our Patreon. Just visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click the Patreon tab to learn more. Now, without further ado, the unlocked episodes I promised you. Season 15, Episode 15 and Season 15, Episode 17. Enjoy. Well, folks, it's that time again. Time to venture beyond. Now, I already told you earlier this evening how you can access this bonus content. But in case you forgot, patreon.com, then search for Monsters Among Us podcast. Join your level and get rolling. You can even try it out for an entire week for free, if you would like. And once you do, you'll discover you've been missing out on calls like Greg's in Maine. Hey, Derek. My name's Greg. I live in Maine. What I'm calling about actually just happened tonight. So I work in a restaurant as a kitchen manager. So I got out of work. You know, we're doing our closing up stuff and my wife works with me. She's a bartender. And then we had three customers that were former employees hanging out with us. So I got out of work. I have two Coronas, so nothing crazy. Got out of work, I'm reading a book. And so I get up to go and use the bathroom and go to the bathroom. And so there's three bathrooms. The woman's room, and then what we call the middle bathroom, which is like a family restroom, and then the men's room. And so I came out of the men's room, and the middle bathroom, I walk by it, and the light's on, and I hear somebody moving around in there. I don't think much of it. And I come walking out towards the bar area where we were all hanging out. And I see the four other people in the building that I was with. And I'm like, well, that's strange because I'm the only other person in the building that isn't in the bar area. So I asked them, I'm like, hey, is, you know, is it somebody I'm forgetting about? You know, somebody's spouse come in while I was in the bathroom or something to you know, pop in or pick somebody out or something, you know? 
And nope, the last person that was in the bathroom was my buddy Jeremy. And he was like, I haven't, I haven't been in there for a little bit. Yeah, that's strange. So I go to check out the bathroom because the light's still on. It's a motion sensor. Light usually clicks off after like five minutes. And I go to grab the doorknob and the doorknob's locked. Strange, but okay. So we have a little bamboo skewer that I put up on this little ledge area between the two bathrooms. So I unlock the door and door pops open, push the door open and nobody in there. There's nobody in there, which what I half expected, but at the same time, we had two of these claw machine games and this thing starts going off. And they're not supposed to go off unless you've put in money and activated the machine. And this thing is going off. It's nuts. Like, I won a prize. But I wasn't, like, scared or didn't get that, like, sense of dread or whatever that people talk about. It's just, like, somebody playing a prank, I guess. The whole thing was strange. But to add to it, my wife and I, we have the ring doorbell cameras, but... I've had one sitting on my Xbox charging for like two weeks. I've just kind of forgotten to put it up. But anyways, the charger that you use use to charge like, you know, all all sorts of stuff. So it's been charged, unplugged, charged, unplugged. So my mother-in-law was at home with the dog. And this was about an hour before the noise in the bathroom at work. And my mother-in-law texts my wife and says that, my mother-in-law heard something come over it and it just said one word look you know it could have been something from outside or whatever except for the fact that my dog also responded and they both looked in the same direction at the same spot so I thought that was kind of weird I literally just got home like 20 minutes ago this all happened tonight and I checked the doorbell cam and it is dead it's batteries are dead needs to be charged weird stuff but I've heard reports from other employees past employees current employees and stuff that the building I work in is haunted and there's some there's some weird stuff that is etched around the building I guess you'd say there's a big kitchen function hall part next door to the the restaurant that I work at it's like a like an old 70s style like shopping mall that just kind of got left in time that never got really got updated or anything but I work on the other side where they have this big kitchen anyways they have this packaging part where you you box up stuff and load pallets and do all that kind of stuff on the cement floor though is like weird etchings of I don't know a paragraph from some book I'm not religious myself so it could be the bible I'm, I'm not positive but some days though it's more visible than others which I found very strange, and especially considering it's a concrete floor. Other days, you don't see it. But go over there at night, it's just eerie. But anyways, first time caller, got plenty of stories, especially about this location. So I guess I'll call back with more at some point. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you, Greg. You know, bars are another on my frequently haunted list. And speaking of lists... Maine, the state in which Greg's story took place, ranks number one in ghost sightings with 56 per 100,000 people. Topping off that list is North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, and Vermont. 
A link to the full list, courtesy of Ghost of America, can be found in the show notes. And thanks again, Greg, for sharing all those experiences. Good evening, Monster Squad. I'm tickled pink to have you along for the ride. And I have all sorts of goodies lined up for you this evening. So what do you say we get back into it? The following is Michael's submission. Out of the peach state of Georgia. Hey there, Derek. This is Michael in Georgia. I got a story for you. On the latest podcast, you had a guy talk about someone being in the room some spirit of some sort and they're bringing light to him almost like a good feeling and I'm going to send you some pictures of my arm that had chill bumps probably two inches up I was illuminated by this so what happened was we had just brought our newborn home she was maybe within a month old so she's sleeping beside her mother on the bed and I'm on the opposite side she's in the bassinet of course the newborn and I've always had a heightened fear of somebody coming into the apartment, standing beside us while I'm asleep. It's the scariest feeling possible because they got you at that point. So I wake up. I don't know time. I don't know anything, but I wake up in the middle of the night and there's someone standing in the room with us. And instead of freaking out, like I always assumed I would, I look at it. I don't notice anything. And it's possible, like, it wasn't even a shape. What I remember is a a warming glow in the room, almost like a golden light. And instead of freaking out, like I said, I I look over and I say, oh, wow, wow, that's a peaceful feeling. Almost as if I was in a hot tub, just complete serenity. I roll over and I go back to sleep. Wake up the next morning and I mention it to my wife. And she says, oh, well, that's whatever, of course. So I go to Google and I start looking into it and it's, A lot of people have had the same or similar account of almost like, I guess what they're saying is the spirit being delivered or blessed by an angel of some sort. And so that's what I think I encountered. But it's a great story to tell other people. I truly believe my daughter is blessed. She always has been. So I take it as a good thing. And I appreciate all you do, big homie. Love the podcast. Take care. Thanks, Michael. Now, if you're going to experience something strange... There's certainly no harm in making it a positive experience. And we can appreciate that, Michael. And we also appreciate the time. So thanks for calling in that entry. Now, folks, don't forget that you have access to our VIP shop. Just visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click the VIP shop tab. Then enter password for instant access. And enter the code for 10% off anything in the main shop. Just a little way to show that we appreciate all your support. Now another way is by sharing these terrifying telephone calls. So let's get back to the action. Please join me in welcoming the following anonymous caller from Parts Unknown. Hi Derek, I've been listening to your show and I really love it. So I decided to call in and anonymously share a story that happened to my sister and I. So this would have been around 2011. I got a new job offer, so I moved from the Northeast to a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, and I brought my sister with me because I was moving to a new place and she wanted to try it out there. 
So we rented a house. It was a little two-bedroom, one-story ranch house. Cute neighborhood. There was nothing inherently spooky about it. And it was kind of set up like a big rectangle. So it had an open living dining room area. And then at the back side of the house, there was a kitchen, an office, and a bathroom. And then towards the right side of the house, there were two bedrooms at the end of a small hallway. I guess I'd call myself an optimistic skeptic, but I haven't really had a ton of experiences. But my sister has had a lot of really strange paranormal experiences. And right before we moved in together, she was living in this apartment that she swore was haunted. She had had things touch her in the night. She heard weird noises. She would wake up with scratches on her. So when we moved in together, I didn't think anything of it. And I hadn't really experienced any of that stuff myself before living with her. Now, I have a large dog and a cat. My dog weighs about 100 pounds, and the cat is about 12 pounds. But this house had hardwood floors. We had a couple of rugs, but the hallway was all hardwood. So my dog sleeps in a bed next to my bed in my room, and the cat sleeps on the foot of my bed. And I would keep my door closed to my bedroom at night so that my pets wouldn't bother my sister. And at night, I started hearing really strange sounds and the walls in this house are very thin, so my sister and I could actually hear each other in our bedrooms through the wall. So I would hear something starting from the kitchen with little clicky claws walking from the kitchen all the way down the hallway, and it would stop at either her door or my door in the hallway. And then I started hearing it walk through one of the doors, and I would hear it walk through my sister's door over to her bed, or I would hear it walk through my door into my room. And every time this happened, I would turn on the lights, and my door was still closed, and both of my pets were still in their beds, and I had no idea what this noise was. But it was distinct, two-footed-sounding walking with claws coming down the hallway, always the same, from the kitchen, through the office, down the hallway, to one of the bedrooms. And one night, I heard it, I woke up, and I heard my sister moving in bed, and we started talking to each other through the wall, and she had heard the same thing. We were both scared out of our minds to turn the lights on, And this would happen once every couple of weeks or so for almost the entire time we lived there. And when I was in the living room, I would often hear noises in the office, which was on the other side of the wall. And I'd hear something scuffling around in there. I'd get up to check. There was never anything there. And one night I was home alone and I kept hearing this scuffling noise. And my sister was working late and I was starting to get pretty freaked out. And I kept hearing the scuffling noise, so I'd get up to check. And at one point, I just stopped checking. I was tired of looking. There was nothing in there. I heard the scuffling noise, and then I heard a huge boom sound, like something had dropped on the roof over our living room. And I actually went out the front door and looked because I thought a tree branch had fallen on the house. And there was nothing outside. There was nothing on the roof. There was nothing on the ground near the house. And it shook the entire living room. Both my pets got scared and ran into another room. And after that, I was so freaked out, I couldn't stay in the house anymore. So I actually grabbed my bag and I went to my sister's work and waited with her until she finished and came home. But I had a lot of really strange experiences in that house. But hearing those little claws walking through the house at night on a regular basis scared the life out of me. And then after about a year of living together, I got another job offer. So I moved to the West Coast and she went back to New York And I haven't had any experiences since living with her, but I had so many experiences living with her on a regular basis. It makes me think that there's something going on either with that house or maybe something that's been following my sister around. But that's my story and I can't explain it. So if somebody else can, I would love to hear it. All right. Thanks for the show. And I really enjoy listening. Bye.
Thanks, caller. I think I would agree with you. It seems your sister might have brought something back with her. After all, she claimed to have experienced something unusual in her previous residence. And it seemed to stop when she left. And given those strange, eerie, clicky footsteps, whatever it was, was not something you want clinging around. I guess, best case scenario, those screen sounds were made by large rats, so I doubt you want to hear about worst case scenario. But thank you either way, caller, for the spooky entry. Have you ever added up the cost of all your subscription services? Let me tell you, you just might be shocked about how much you're paying per year on those subscriptions. Now, when I signed up for Rocket Money, the first thing they showed me was the total amount I was paying for subscriptions per year, and it was way more than I'd realized. The app makes it very easy to see how many subscriptions you're paying for, the cost of each one, and when that next charge will drop. Rocket Money even helped me cancel some of the subscriptions that I no longer wanted. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that helps find and cancel your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. Now, I've never been great at budgeting, but the Rocket Money app makes keeping track of what I spend so easy. It flags frequent spend items, sneaky service fees, and other things I probably would have missed otherwise. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com forward slash monsters among us. That's rocketmoney.com forward slash monsters among us. Rocketmoney.com forward slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to that disembodied giggling in the back corner of your basement. Now this next one comes to us from Dave in the state of Utah. Hey Derek, it's Dave from Northern Utah again. I was just catching up on your last couple of episodes in season nine and I couldn't help but understand and hear your ponderings about owls. And I actually realized I had a couple stories to share about owls. One of them actually happened yesterday. The first story happens on our family property here in northern Utah. We own 17 acres. It's along the river, and it's nothing special, but it's nice, and it's home to us. We've always enjoyed it. I constantly walk around the block to go to our property from our house. And where we live is still semi-rural. There's a major, I wouldn't call it a highway, but it's a four-lane road directly west of our house. And the highway goes down past our property with a couple fields in between it as well. So like I said, it's populated, but it's not. And so as you enter the property, you kind of go down this little embankment that kind of curves to the right. You're not that long of a downhill slope. And it kind of does an S-line for about... 500 feet and then it goes to a roundabout and in the middle of that roundabout there's a couple of willow trees and a shed and then on the outside of the roundabout on one side is the river and then it keeps going along the property and then on the other side of the roundabout is corral for our cattle when i was walking down past this roundabout one night and it was around dusk 
probably just gotten off of work. But what I remember is this owl came in and swooped down, which was kind of out of the ordinary because owls don't normally get that close to you. And this owl came down and landed on one of our fence posts for our gates. And it was maybe 10 feet away from me. And it just started doing it. You know, it's and it was looking at something in the field. I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. So I decided to watch it, you know, thinking it was going to get some lunch. And then I just got this eerie feeling about me, which I've never had a bad feeling on our property until this. And this owl just turned its head very slowly and looked directly at me. And then, you know, it went, and then it turned its head back around to the same spot and did it again. And like I said, there's a little bit of light pollution from a busy road, maybe an eighth of a mile. And there's a Maverick there, which is a gas station we have out here. So like I said, there's a little bit of light pollution, but not a lot. And so I'm looking out to where the owl is looking, like, what is it looking at? Like, I feel weird now. And I could kind of see something. And then another owl came swooping in. And when this owl swooped in, it landed on the other fence post. And they both turned their heads slowly at the same time and went, in unison at me and then I looked out into the field and then where they were looking there was now these eyes that had shine on them they were yellow and it was just strange they looked too far apart to be any creature that we have around here and I've never been freaked out on my property but I just left I ran and I just left it's never happened to me before never happened again I've never been uncomfortable on our property but it freaked me Leading into my second story about owls, like I said, this happened yesterday. We're going for a horse ride, and I'm with my girlfriend. And I'll admit, I'm new to horses. I've had cattle my whole life, but I got stepped on as a child and have kind of had a fear of horses ever since. Anyway, so last year I bought a new horse for the first time, loved it. Riding with my girlfriend this year, though, it causes apprehension within me, it causes tension. And so I usually am on a little bit of a heightened alert just because I'm concerned for her, which is kind of silly because I know nothing's going to happen. But I tell you that just because I realize that maybe my tensions are high and I'm just overthinking this, but it's another weird story with an owl. Anyway, it's about 5 o'clock in the evening. We're trying to go for a horse ride, and we went to a trail two weeks ago. And we were riding it, but we turned back because it was getting dark and we just didn't know how far it was going to go. So we turned back and we were like, okay, we're at home. And we looked at the map and we realized it's just a loop. We can go back later and finish it. So yesterday we decided to go and finish it. And we get up there and the gate that we went through the first time was now closed. And so I was like, oh, that's weird. So I parked the truck and got out to try to see if there was a way to just go around because typically they do that to keep out motorized traffic. But I couldn't find anything to go around this fence. As I'm walking along the fence trying to find a hole, I decided to turn around and there was a bunch of what I believe is Acadia bugs, those really loud, crickety bugs. The forest was just screaming alive. And we're on the main thorough road, so I'm not necessarily alone, but there was a lull in traffic, so I was the only one walking on the road at this point. And so I'm sitting here walking down the road, and I go past the gate again that should go up the trail, and I look over, and again, sitting on a fence post, is this owl. And I'm not saying it's the same owl from my previous story, but it is just an owl. And it just looked kind of funny, almost like it was kind of sick and some of its feathers were falling out or something. It just it didn't look right. And so I looked over at it and I just asked, 
hey, man, is everything okay? And the second I asked it that, it just goes, ooh, ooh, and all those Acadia bugs just shut off. The forest went completely silent, all noise vanished. And I looked at that owl, and it blinked once, and it started to turn its head, and I didn't care what was going on. I wasn't going to stick around to see what it was turning its head to look at. I got in the truck. My girlfriend's like, what's going on? Like, you seem concerned, and I just drove away. Yeah, like I said, it was just bizarre. I don't know what these owls have in connections with anything, but I'm kind of with you. I think there's a, a connection with these owls and things. I mean, if I remember right, I think they have some sort of connection to aliens. I think I've heard that somewhere before, but those are my stories that involve owls. Thanks, man. Love the podcast. Thank you, Dave. Now, it's my understanding that in some instances, owls aren't owls. They're instead alien beings, cloaked, disguised, or camouflaged as a member of the bird family. Something some researchers are calling a screened memory. Now, I've linked to a handful of articles that Delaney has pulled up for us. If you're really interested in this connection, might I suggest works by Mike Cleland? Links to that. You guessed it. In the show notes. Well, thanks again, Dave. I can't say for certain these nocturnal predators are somehow connected to interstellar travel, but I think we can marvel at their beauty. And it's always a good day when you see one in the wild. Well, people, I regret to inform you that this is the end of the broadcast. For this week, at least. And I have a doozy here to send us off. So, please, join me in welcoming Emma to the program. Hello. I am calling in a story on behalf of my mother. She is about 60 years old, and this happened maybe 8 to 10 years ago down in Amelia Island off the coast of Florida. It's about an hour from the Georgia border, and it's a very small island. The beach is called Fernandina Beach. Basically what happened is one night I got a call at like midnight from my mom, and she rarely calls me in the evening, so I thought something was wrong, and I pick up, and she is kind of sounded like she was hyperventilating. She told me she was running. She was like running back to her house. And she was just like, oh my God, oh my God. I didn't know who else to call. I have to tell you what I just saw. Now I've been into aliens for a long time since I was like a teenager. But at this time I had never had my own experiences. I was just very interested in them. So anyway, that's, I think that's why my mother chose to call me just someone she thought would believe her. What she said happened is she was standing on the beach on a clear night. I believe it was somewhere around the full moon, well lit. She didn't have a flashlight or anything to illuminate. And she was just standing out there watching the stars. And that's just the kind of person my mom is. She loves to be out on the shore early morning and early night. So she said she was looking out and suddenly saw something rise up from the ocean. She said it was about 40 feet offshore and that as it rose into the sky, it was so large and so dark that it completely blocked out any star. Another strange effect, she said, is that it went completely silent. Not a sound of wind, not a sound of an engine, not a sound of the waves lapping either. And this 
UFO, basically, she says it turned on. I can't remember if she said it had seven lights and they slowly turned off or they slowly turned on. But either way, once the lights had turned on or off, she said it just shot into the sky. And that's when she called me. I sent her a video in response of the Phoenix lights. You know, just information about that situation and asking her if it was anything like that. And she said, yes, absolutely. Like, very similar situation. And she was still very confused. She was like, I really don't know. Like, you're the one into aliens. They come to you. (laughs) I didn't really have an answer for her. But my mom, she doesn't drink. She doesn't do drugs. She's not the kind of person to tell a lie or make something like this up. And as I said, when she called me, she sounded petrified. And she was running from the beach as fast as she could, basically, trying to make sense of what had happened. To this day, she swears up and down that that happened. Very short interaction. She said maybe from beginning to end. It was about five minutes or so. I'm not sure if she looked at the clock to actually confirm that. But yeah, just thought that was really interesting and just really vivid, especially considering the fact that like my mom, she's experienced a lot of paranormal and strange things but nothing like that before. I was pretty amazed and just wanted to share that with everybody. Thanks. Thank you, Emma. I remember chasing a witch around San Fernandina when I was a kid. A story I'm sure I've discussed several times in the past and will likely do again in the future. But for now, we're talking UFOs. And we managed to find another story that seems to describe the exact same thing that Emma's mother saw that evening. Now, both of these reports were taken from the same area of Florida, and as far as I can tell, occurred within, at most, three years of one another. If not, on the exact same date. You see, it's hard to tell, because Emma doesn't have an exact date for her mother's experience. Now what we found goes as follows. On October 10th, 2012 at 10.42 p.m., UFOs Northwest reported another sighting. First, I thought it was a shooting star, and then a star cluster. But when I focused on it, I saw it was moving. It was V-shaped with about 10 faint lights on the right side, but only three that I could see on the left. It was moving from the north to the southeast. It blocked out the stars as it went through the night sky, like a shadow. I couldn't see the body. It just blended with the sky, says the poster. Now that blurb, courtesy of the Fernandina Observer, and sounds eerily similar, at least to me. And very much not unlike our flying triangle that we're often talking about. Although this may be one of the first stories I've ever heard involving that craft exiting water. But it's certainly not the first UFO to do so. Now I'm a firm believer that something strange is taking place below our oceans, and it very well could extend to the sky. And with each entry like Emma's, we get closer and closer to solving the mystery. So what do you say we dive into the grab bag, shall we? Beginning with Amber from Parts Unknown. 
Hi, my name is Amber. I've called in a couple of times before because I've had a lot of different stories that have happened. This one kind of has stayed with me for the entirety of my life since it's happened. I grew up in a really old house. It was like the first house built on that block in the town that I live in. And the previous people who had owned it, the woman had actually died in the house and they were friends with my grandparents. And when my grandparents first came into the town that we live in from Houston, they purchased the house from these people and then the people moved next door. Later on, my grandmother, she had five boys and one of them got really sick. He was my Uncle Brian. He got really sick. They never really could find out exactly what caused it to happen, but they had gone in and done exploratory surgery on his brain, and it ended up messing him up more because, you know, back in the 60s and the 70s, they weren't as advanced, I guess, as they are now with things like that, and they actually just kind of messed him up so much that for the next 10 years, he was always just in a comatose state. Like, he had to be cared for around the clock by my grandmother, which was very hard on her and very hard on the family at the time. And he ended up passing away in the house that I grew up in. My dad started living in the house once everybody got old enough and dispersed and went their own ways. My dad kind of kept that house, and it's actually been in our family for a while. So I grew up there, and my dad's brother died in the house that I lived in. The previous owner died in the house that I lived in. And a man was electrocuted under the house that I lived in. So there was always a lot of crazy things happening. So that's just a little backstory. One day I was at my grandmother's house, which was right next door. And I was probably in like fourth grade. But around that time, Oprah was still on as a regular spot on the channel lineup. And there was this psychic that was on Oprah. And I think that he had literally like, he was kind of starting to turn into a big deal. And I cannot think of his name to save my life. But she was asking him, you know, how would spirits be able to contact regular people that aren't psychics or that aren't, you know, this and that. And he was like, a lot of times spirits, if they're trying to contact you or connect with you, they'll use electronics, they'll use electricity, you know, things like that. So just make you know that they're there. And that kind of like freaked me out for a little while. And my parents had gotten me this radio. And back in the day, you know, like boom boxes, they had the option to where you could put batteries in it or you could plug it up or you could keep batteries in it and also have the ability to plug it up. And it also had these two speakers on each side that would detach and they were still connected to the radio and you can set them other places to like make the sound better. But anyway, my parents had gotten me this radio and it was like that and it was fancy. And we didn't have any batteries the size that it needed, which were those big fat round ones that go in the back. We didn't have any of those. So my mom was just like, well, you know, just plug it in. Like we could just use it, be plugged in. And I kind of wanted to use it in the bathroom and all the electrical outlets that were in the bathroom were taken. And I was kind of upset about it. So that's how I know that <laughs> it was plugged in and used in my room. And there was no other place that I could really use it because it was an old house 
and they didn't really put a lot of electrical outlets in each room. So in my bedroom, I have like two plugs that I could plug my stuff into. One was for the TV and one was for other stuff. So one night, I am laying in bed and I'm asleep and I woke up just out of nowhere to hearing a voice in my ear say the word tulip, which I thought was odd and it kind of freaked me out. And, you know, I was like little, I was like in fourth grade and I mean, I knew my house was haunted because like stuff was always happening that freaked me out and scared me. So whenever I heard this and I knew that everybody in the house was asleep, it was just my parents and me. I was an only child. My parents' room was literally like right off the hallway, kind of next to mine. But I lay there, you know, my heart was racing and I was just kind of in a panic because I didn't know where this voice had come from. And I lay there and the next thing I know, I keep hearing like this static. And it was just kind of like a faint static. Like if somebody had like a radio on in the distance and it wasn't on any specific channel, it was just a static. And I kept hearing this static and this static. And then I looked and I kind of leaned up and I looked towards the end of the bed where my radio was sitting across the room. And I had noticed that the red light on the radio was on. And the way that the plug was, it was above the radio, like in the middle of the wall. And so in order for the radio to have been plugged in, the cord would actually have to run up the wall to be plugged in. So I got up out of the bed and I walked over to where the plug was and I'm literally looking at the plug disconnected from the wall and my radio is making like a staticky noise. And the backing where the batteries were supposed to go was off and there were no batteries in it. And I immediately was just kind of like, oh, my God, my radio is just going off on its own. Like there's, you know, there's just static. So I run back to my bed and I just got in the bed and I was like covering my head up and kind of laying there, like wishing that I wasn't in the experience that I was in. <laughs> and through the static that I kept hearing, because it was still happening, it was like I did hear a voice, like somebody was trying to talk over static, but also faintly. And it was a voice that I did not recognize. It was not anything that I had, you know, it was nobody's voice that I knew. And I knew that the radio wasn't plugged in and there's no batteries and there's no logical reason for this radio to even be doing this. So I freak out finally and I get enough bravery to jump out of my bed and run into my parents' room. And I woke my parents up and I'm like, you can have the radio. I don't want it. I don't want my radio anymore, please. Basically just in hysterics. And I'm like, there's something in the radio talking to me. And they were like blowing me off kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. So a couple of days later, I was trying to tell my parents about it still because I was just baffled and I was scared and it was in my room. And, you know, these things, you know, they freak you out when you're little and they freak you out when you're grown. But I'm in the bathroom and we have like this big window and it was kind of like my hangout spot. So I was always kind of like a solitude kind of kid. So I would go in the bathroom just to kind of be alone. And I was just staring out the bathroom window. And in my head, it was like there was another voice that was in my head. It wasn't my own voice. It was another, you know, it, it was weird. It was like when you think in your mind, you're thinking usually in your own voice. It wasn't my own voice. And it kept saying, how's David? How's David? How's David? And the voice repeating how's David, which is, by the way, my father's name, 
wasn't my own voice and it wasn't a voice that I had heard before and it sounded young. It wasn't like an older voice. It sounded like a young kid. Being younger, I just tried to ignore that. I was just kind of like, I don't know. And I freaked out and I walked, you know, out of the bathroom and then back into the living room with my mom and stuff. And then I just tried to just go on about my day. Like I was just trying to like not freak out, not panic. And plus, you know, I still had to live there. So a couple of days later, I was asking my grandma a bunch of questions about my Uncle Brian who had passed in my house. And it turns out that whenever he started getting sick, he was probably like 10. And they couldn't really figure out why he was gaining weight and acting weird and, you know, getting sick and things like that. And they took him in and they did exploratory surgery on his brain, which messed him up and put him in a coma for years. And they took care of him in that house and that's where he passed on. Well, the last time that he was ever actually able to speak, he was 10 years old. And him and my dad were really close. You know, they were brothers. And it was something that broke my family's heart whenever he passed away. So I think that in some form or some way, because of the fact that I lived there and earlier that day I had seen on the television that they could, you know, contact you through electronics or electricity, that there was like a way that he knew that. It was almost like he had found that out too, you know, and he wanted to contact me to check on my dad. I know that sounds weird, but years and years of thinking about it, that's the only conclusion that I could come to. He wanted to say, how's David? I don't know why I heard the name Tulip this house. It is wildly haunting. <laughs> it's with people that cared about us. It's with people that loved us and, you know, wouldn't do anything to hurt us. And I also stay there in the back of the house in a little apartment type duplex situation when I was in my early 20s. And there was some major stuff that happened then too, but I will be calling back to discuss that. Keep up the good work with the show. I love it. I am addicted to it. And thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Amber. Now, we can say this is the first story we've heard regarding ghostly activity in electronics. You know, this kind of reminds me of the spirit box ghost hunting equipment. For those not familiar, it's essentially a radio that's been altered to scan channels repeatedly. Several stations per second, I believe. And you're then supposed to listen to the static and pick out words or phrases. I'll tell you why I'm not convinced. And I've yet to see any reason as to why something like that might work. But if it operated without a power supply, like Amber's radio, I think maybe then I'd give it a little more clout. Thanks again, Amber, for sharing your entry. Now, as a proud beard owner, I can tell you there's nothing worse than a cheap razor. They both leave me and my skin angry and irritated. And that's just no way to live. If you two struggle with inferior razors, you need to upgrade to Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. 
The Henson razor works with standard dual-edge blades that give you that old-school shave with the benefit of new-school tech. And once you own a Henson razor, it's only about 3 to $5 a year to replace the blades. It gets even better. The razor has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. And the overall shaving experience speaks for itself. I can clean up my edges, feel and look more put together, and not worry about wobble, nicks, and skin irritation. It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to razors that'll last you a lifetime. Visit HensonShaving.com forward slash MAU to pick the razor for you. Use code MAU and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add them in your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G.com forward slash M-A-U and use code M-A-U. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to that blue light that just blasted through your kitchen window. Now folks, I'll keep this brief, but it's great to have you here with us on this bonus content. So let's dive back in, this time with Ange out of Texas. Hi Derek, this is Ange. I've been listening for about a month. I really enjoy your podcast. I have numerous stories. <laughs> I've had kind of a strange life. A lot of things happen to me. I don't know why that is. I think maybe because I've always just sort of believed that, you know, that the world is a mysterious place and a lot of things are possible that we don't think are. But I just wanted to share with you part of my story. I guess you could call it angelic, something from beyond. Saved me in several ways. The first time I think I saw what might be a guardian angel, I was with my little brother. I was maybe five or six. It was one of my earliest memories. We like to get up and go out in the backyard and play early in the morning. I'm close to 50, so it's been a long time ago, but I remember it very vividly. We walked outside. I remember shutting the door behind us. I remember what the weather was like, vivid, strange details like that. And we turned around, and there was what appeared to be a man standing alongside by the fence to our left. But he was very, very tall, and he had, for lack of a better word, his arms were upstretched, and he was fiery-looking. But he was fiery-looking like gold fire without a definite outline, but you could tell somehow that it was a man. I had the sense it was a man or a male figure. And it was like gold with an oil slick poured over it, if that makes any sense. Like the, the shimmer rainbow kind of look of an oil slick on water poured over gold. It was quite beautiful and bright, and he was very tall. And like I said, his arms or something was upstretched over his head to where it almost appeared to be wings with these sort of flame-looking things coming off of his body. I turned to look at my brother to see if he saw this, too. I wasn't afraid, though. I just was sort of awestruck and, and dumbstruck. And I looked at my brother, and when I looked back, he was gone. Well, my brother did see him, and we made up a whole game around this. This is why I know that I'm not remembering like a dream or something like that, because 
we called it a ghost. We didn't know what else to call it. We weren't churchgoers or anything at the time, so didn't really know what an angel was. We called it a ghost, and we made up a whole game to play in the backyard about the ghost in the yard. And I did tell my mother, and of course, you know, she just said it was our imagination. So I guess looking back, you could just say, well, that was just vivid imagination or long memory that turned into something, and it's not anything. But over the years, I think whatever that was just kind of saved me in some situations. Fast forward quite some time, I was a teenager. It was New Year's Day, and I was working at a hospital. So I had left work. My shift was over and was driving home. And my car went over the railroad tracks. I had to drive through a pretty bad neighborhood to get back home. And my car died. And it was a really cold day. And back then there weren't cell phones. And I was really afraid. I didn't want to get out of my car and walk back to the hospital. My house was too far away. And I would have to walk a long way through a kind of a sketchy neighborhood. And so I sat there and I remember thinking, oh God, you know, you're going to have to help me out here. And no sooner had I thought that, that a van pulled up and parked in front of me. And it was a church van. And I thought, oh my gosh, what are the odds of this? And a little old man got out. And he came over and I just cracked my window. You know, it had been drummed into me to be cautious. I cracked my window and he said, do you need some help? Do you need a ride or something? And I felt sort of safe around this guy. I know that sounds ridiculous, but he was a little old man and I'm nearly six feet tall. And I guess I thought, well, I guess if he tries anything, maybe I can overpower him. But I didn't feel afraid. And I explained that my car had broken down. And yes, I worked at the hospital and asked if he could give me a ride back there. And he said, sure. So I went and I got in his van and We had a very brief conversation on the ride to the hospital about cooking black-eyed peas for a New Year's Day tradition. It was kind of a strange conversation. It felt a little surreal, you know, that drive back. And I guess I was a little on guard, just making sure that I was safe. So he dropped me at the hospital, and I walked on up. And this was a very long, wide, circular drive. And the front of the hospital was all glass windows. And so I walked in and I got to the door. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh, I need to turn around and see what church that was so I can maybe send a thank you card or whatever. And I turned around and the van was gone. Now, I had just walked up some steps and gotten to the door And the only way that van could have disappeared is if he went screeching out of there full speed, which, of course, I would have heard him do that because it was a very long driveway. I just stood there really dumbfounded that he was gone. But I guess at the time, I just sort of brushed it off. Well, maybe he parked or my mind also was on my car. Oh, my gosh, how much is this going to cost me? So I had a lot going on in my mind right then. Fast forward again, when I was first married and moved to the big city, we lived in a very small apartment. There was one bedroom, and we lived there for a little while, and my brother-in-law wanted to come stay with us. It was the only night he had ever, ever stayed with us in the entire time we were married. 
there was nowhere for him to sleep but in the living room, and so we made him a little pallet on the floor. And around 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I realized that the TV was still on out there and that my brother-in-law had fallen asleep. And so I got up and went out and turned the TV off, and I went back to bed. Everything was fine. A few hours later, my then-husband, who had to get up early for work, I could hear him out there calling for our cat, like our cat was lost. And he was asking his brother, you know, what happened? So I got up, and apparently at some point, after I had turned the TV off, somebody had gotten the window open to break in and had moved the plant stand back that was in front of the window and started to come into the apartment. Saw Mike laying there, my brother-in-law, who slept through the entire thing, and backed up, left the window open and everything. My cat got out. Fortunately, found the cat. We, of course, called the police. The policeman found a lot of cigarette butts underneath the window and said that he did not think it was a case of, oh, this guy walking by and let's just break in, that the guy had stood out there and waited and was most likely out there when I got up and turned off the TV. The policeman that was there taking a report believed that because my then-husband worked graveyard shift and was also in school. So anyone watching the apartment would have probably thought that I lived alone and that they were possibly coming in to not just steal things, but coming in for me. I thought it was a one in a billion thing that that was the one night that my brother-in-law ever spent with us, that anyone ever spent with us there. That was the one night someone started to come in, saw him, and it made them leave. So that was pretty cool, I guess, that part of it. Fast forward again, several years, we were in a bigger apartment on the second floor, and I used to like to go work out at the gym later on in the evening toward night so that it wouldn't be crowded. Every time I would leave to go out of the apartment, I would get into the breezeway there of the building, and I would do a quick check of the parking lot, just looking to see if anybody was out there before I would go on out to the car. It just got to be a habit. So that is what I did. I came down and I looked. I didn't see anyone. It was well lit. So I went on to my truck, which was parked right there. So I was taking my time, kind of messing around my purse, get my keys. And as I was standing right there by the door, I heard a voice in my head say, get in a truck. I could not tell you if it was male or female. It was just very loud. Get in the truck. It caused me to very quickly get in the truck, slam the door behind me, lock it. And then, of course, I felt very silly. I thought, well, why am I getting in the truck? And what was that all about? Trying to sort it all out. I looked up in the rearview mirror. My eyes met those of a man who was standing at the back of my truck. And he was just standing there looking at me. And like I said, our eyes met for a minute. I was totally floored. I didn't know where he had come from because I did not see anyone in the parking lot. I did not see him when I walked out to my truck. There wasn't anybody parked near me. He just was suddenly there. I knew that that was what the warning voice in my head was warning me about. So as I sat there sort of in shock, the man walked off quickly and I debated what to do, follow him, not follow him. I wound up just leaving, going about my business. 
But I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that that voice telling me to get in the truck made me hurriedly get in the truck and kept me safe. Those are my stories about whatever this was that I think has kind of kept me safe these years. I hope it continues to. Thank you, Aunt. You know, this kind of reminds me of Lindsay's entry from last week, the disappearing homeless man story out of Tennessee. And I should mention that you've touched on one of my biggest fears, someone breaking into our home and letting our cats out. Or maybe worse, one of these big black bears pushing through the window and letting them out. And a little more back on topic, whatever it is that's going on around you, Ange, it certainly sounds like you're right. Something out there has your back. Thanks again for sharing your entry. And I have one more for you this evening. This time from Casey in Tennessee. Hi, Derek. This is Casey. I live in East Tennessee. I have a story that involves messing around with a Ouija board. This probably goes back to, I would say, 2009. I was just out of high school, and I was hanging out with a buddy of mine, his name was Sean, and he's all like, dude, we moved in this place or whatever, and I found this Ouija board. This Ouija board had been handcrafted. It wasn't one of the the Hasbro ones. Anyway, this thing had been handcrafted out of a piece of wood, and it had a, a real dial, the triangular dial, and everything, the pointer. Well, he's all like, yeah, man, we should play with this Ouija board. I'm like, well, sure, why not? What's the harm in that, you know? I had messed with one some years back. We had made a homemade one. I have a crazy story about that one, but that's for another time. But anyway, me and him, we sit down in this floor, and we start messing around with this Ouija board, start asking the question. You know, the dial started moving and stuff, and I wasn't moving it. And I'm not the most skeptical person because I've seen things in the past but, you know, I was kind of skeptical of the Ouija board. Anyway, we start messing around with it, and I start seeing these little orbs. And they're zooming, like, around us through the hallway. And they come back, and it's just like the little tiniest-looking orbs, little light. And they would zoom around. And we didn't think anything of it. We thought it was really cool, you know. Well, we took it over to his buddy, a guy he knew his name was Speedy. We went over there, and... You know, we was telling him about it stuff, and he's like, yeah, you guys should bring that thing over. Let's do it here. So we go back to his house and get it and come back because it's right down the road. And we're sitting in his floor and in his bedroom. We're sitting there messing around with it. And I kid you not, we start asking it these questions, and then it starts going back and forth from Z to A, Z to A, Z to A. And it does that, and then all of a sudden... The lights in the bedroom started flickering. I'm not joking. This was one of the most insane things I'd ever seen in my life. The lights start flickering, and then the TV comes on, and it comes on the static white noise channel, like the old school TVs. And in the TV, we could make out eyes and a mouth, and it was smiling. And then about that time, the power goes out, comes back on, My buddy Sean gets up, takes his camera, and 
start snapping pictures in the room. Everything went back to normal. We closed out the Ouija board, you know, said goodbye, whatnot. And we're looking through these photos to see if we caught anything. In Speedy's room, he's got this long mirror that went across his wall. And in one of the pictures, from the reflection of the mirror, you could see back behind us, up in the corner, there was a big black mass sitting in the corner. It was just like a big black mass. And we all start freaking out. And we're deciding like, hey, we're not going to mess with this anymore. This is getting too creepy, getting too weird. We're starting to see really weird stuff. So we decide to leave the Ouija board alone. We're hanging out talking about what all we've just seen. Everybody's like bewildered, like, holy crap, I can't believe we've seen that. That's insane. Well, we stay there for about an hour or two, and we decide to go back to Sean's house. We're coming down the road, and in Tennessee, you know, it's real hilly. There's a lot of curves and stuff in the area where I live. We're coming around this curve, and me and him both seen this. There's a black shadow standing in the middle of the freaking road, and it startled us, and he hit his brakes and ended up spinning the car around like in a 180 and we're sitting there and we're both like what was that i cannot believe did you see that and then he's like yeah i've seen that and i'm like dude we've got to get rid of this ouija board we've got to get rid of it so we get back to his house he has this burn barrel it's like a drum you know he would burn stuff in and we threw it in there we put water fluid over it lit a piece of paper on fire put it down in there and burn that thing and It didn't come back. The Ouija board, it didn't show up again. That was the end of the Ouija board. That's my story. I love the show. You do a great job. And keep them coming, man. Have a good day, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, Casey. Now, what you're describing is a literal fantasy of mine. Buying a house and finding an awesome old Ouija board somewhere hidden within. I'm not so sure about the faulty electricity or the dark entities. I think you can keep both of those. But I do wish you hadn't burned the board, though. I'd kill to have that piece in my office. Thanks again, Casey, for sharing your call. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this evening. Thank you again for sticking around. Of course, thank you for all the continued support. Hopefully I'll catch you guys at the premiere. Don't forget to go snag a ticket. And worst case scenario, I'll catch you here next week. Have a good night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.